You know, before Thanksgiving, for at least three weeks now, I've been seeing Christmas lights up. That's too early to me. I go through the radio and I hear jingle bells already. Two weeks ago I heard it. Just a little early for my taste, but it's never too early to talk about the birth of Christ. A lot of times a message this time of year doesn't come about till about a week or two before Christmas. But I'm thinking about it right now, and I think it's great if we all think about it all year long, but especially in this season with a a unique opportunity we have to add to our witnessing uh, occasions, we should be thinking about the birth of Christ, and, and that's not going to hurt a thing. I invite you this morning to turn to Luke chapter 2. Right in the middle of this Christmas story, around verse 21, I don't really have a a sermon with with three points and a poem at the end, and I don't know, maybe on Sunday morning there's excitable, loud preaching expected or something like that, but how about we just share the information of the birth of Christ and and go into just a few aspects of it. Luke chapter 2, many times on the service before Christmas, especially if it's, you know, midweek service, we might just sit and read Luke chapter 2 together. Uh, Several verses, but we're going to look specifically this morning into verses 21 through 24, these four verses. As you get into this chapter, you quickly get to the taxing that came about by Caesar Augustus. And it caused Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem, where it was always prophesied that this miraculous birth would take place. And then we learn about the shepherds in the field and the angel with the glorious message to bring to them, appearing to them, and and the sign of a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a multitude of angels praising God, the shepherds taking off toward Jerusalem, the shepherds later sharing this amazing message of this amazing birth. All who heard it wondered, the Bible says. The Bible says Mary pondered over this. We go on to see how the shepherds broke forth in worship of the Lord over such an amazing occasion. And there's so many things we could talk about here, but, but let's just go into some of this information. When it's information on the birth of Christ, it's inspirational to me, and I'm sure to you too. But we're going to look at the naming of this child that was born, the, the ceremonies of this child 
concerning this child and an offering. And so in verse 21, let's go ahead and read it all the way through and then we'll break it down. It says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." I never hear great emphasis brought out here. Maybe someone's scared that there aren't really exciting points that are going to be brought out here. Man, you could have left that to me in the beginning of my ministry. I would, I would try to preach things I had never heard before. Turn to the book of Haggai or, or, or whatever. But we're going to look at these verses this morning, and, and the first thing I would like us to consider is the naming that we find in the end of verse 21. It says, His name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The naming of this child was far outside the ordinary, typical circumstances. First of all, God named this child, and He sent the name of the child through an angel to Mary who had no idea she was going to have a child. And she gets His name delivered to her. You find if you go back a chapter to Luke 1 and 30, it says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus." I believe it's safe to say that the naming of this child is not due to normal circumstances, but quite out of the normal. God had a name for him before he was manifested on this earth, before Mary knew anything about it. And the name of this child is Jesus, to save, or he will save. Jesus is Savior. That's what His name means. And God had a name for Him before He came into this world. God had a plan for this child before anyone came into this world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 20, it, it's speaking of Jesus, a lamb slain without, a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. There, even if there's just one here who, who might need this point, Jesus has always been. 
Christianity is not just a little over 2,000 or a little over 6,000 years old. Jesus has always been. Jesus created before, long before He ever came to this world. God had a plan for His Son before anyone ever was. But God the Father and God the Son. Jesus came to us and He was named. He was, he was named and His name went out and there is hope for salvation in the knowing of that name. In the presentation that this child's name is Jesus, it tells of the hope of salvation. He came to save. In Matthew 1 it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. What does his name mean? Well, it continues to say, For he shall save his people from their sins. What a wonderful birth. What, a, what an amazing manifestation before the world. That a Savior came. A Savior came to save us from our sins. What a wonderful name the name of Jesus is. I, I love it. It's, it's just that much more of a kindred spirit when another Christian says the name of Jesus often. The Apostle John said his name so much. John himself, in the Gospel of John, you will find the name Jesus just as much, if not almost as much, as any two other Gospels put together. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was overwhelmed in his loving relationship with Jesus, and it caused him to say his name often. What a, what a wonderful name, this name of Jesus what, a, what an outside the ordinary of normal circumstances in the naming of this child. And you might think, well, this is God in the flesh who has come to us. Yes, there, it's, it's an amazing event. There's an announcement of it from the angel, from others, and that's all that's necessary. That's all that needs to be done. He's the Son of God. However, however, we're going to look at the ceremonies that took place after He was born. Look with me now in the beginning of verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, this child Jesus. And look in verse 22. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. They brought Him to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. Yes, Jesus was submitted under the law of Moses. And just as any other child would be, Jesus submitted to this. He was submitted to this. As you think about that, remember what it says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says that Jesus was made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus says in Matthew 5.17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. And here we find Jesus and His life in the fulfilling of the law of Moses, the law of God, from eight days old. We see an observance of all of the legal ceremonies under the law of Moses. Jesus kept the law of God. He kept the law of God throughout His life. He created these laws. He created these covenants. But He was committed to them and He committed Himself to them. The ones that He made anyway. Not the traditions of man and not the additions of man did Jesus keep. There's a lot of laws today that Jesus wouldn't keep. I'm just baffled by those who esteem a law professing Christianity that Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with and He didn't have anything to do with. We better go on. Anyway... The law says that all boys were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 3. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Joseph and Mary were careful to make sure that this was fulfilled, that this requirement took place. But not only that, you look in verse 22 at this purification process. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. Let me just stop right there. Under the law of Moses, any woman who had given birth to a child, had a ceremonial purification to go through. If the mother birthed a daughter, then that purification process was for 80 days. If the mother birthed a son, then that purification process was for 40 days. During that time of purification process, a mother could take care of her normal daily activities and duties around the house, but she did not participate in everything. She would not participate in any religious functions of any sort that would take place. And so in Mary's case, she birthed a son. And so she had a 40-day purification process. She didn't partake in religious ceremonies during this time. Let me go back to the law and, and read for you in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day of the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying 
three and thirty days, she shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, a girl, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. So we have two weeks at 14 days, and then three score and six days is 66 days. That makes a total of 80 days. Go back to the boy, and it spoke of the, the then she shall be unclean seven days. And then it goes on to speak of the 33 days that she shall not touch any hallowed thing for the purification process. To be declared unclean and clean after purification, let me make some clarification on that here. This didn't have anything to do with the immorality or the morality of someone's life. You could have a couple who believed in the Messiah and, and they were married, they were living in God's will, and then after being married, they had a child, they would go through the purification process. Here we have Mary birthing the Son of God and she's going through the process. So surely we understand and see this isn't about a moral situation. It is the law of God. And, and so Mary, conceiving miraculously of the Holy Spirit, she submitted to the law in birthing the one who would fulfill all the law of God. Purification, though, though not connected to one's personal morals, did remind the Jewish people of the spread of sin throughout the entire world, which required the shedding of blood from an innocent sacrifice. Let's continue on and look at an offering that was made under the law. Now in verse 24, it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. An offering was made to the Lord for a child. Let me go back to Leviticus Chapter 12, and now look in verse 6. And it says, And when the days of our purifying are fulfilled, for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest." Here, back in verse 24 here, it says, And to offer sacrifice according to all that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Doesn't say anything about a lamb here. What is, what is that about? Well, go back to Leviticus or listen in chapter 12 and verse 8. And it says, And if she be not 
able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves. Two turtles, two turtle doves. Or two young pigeons. The one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her and she shall be clean. The offering was to be a lamb. But there were in some cases where someone could not bring a lamb. What would the case be there? It would speak of the economic status of the family. The rich could afford a lamb. The poor might not have a lamb. In a lot of cases, wouldn't have a lamb. So the two turtle doves or the two two pigeons could be brought. Mary and Joseph couldn't bring a lamb. As we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, let let us stop and, and as we think about that, as we look at the story of His birth, so many things go into His life that He lived that are a great help to you and I and the life that we live. Because you understand, Jesus had experience when He walked this earth. And I'm not saying that all the experiences Jesus had was perfect. They weren't. He suffered a lot of things like you and I will. You know, there there are those who do without today. There are those who have very little. The people of God and the will of God have a promise to always have their needs met, but that doesn't mean that God's people will always have a whole lot. No matter what we bear in life, Jesus bore it and then some. It's a special thing in in the time of one's hardship to to try to help them to, to look to a Creator who loves them, who has a precious Son to unite anyone to Him and to be saved. And those who do not know the Lord, who do go through hardships, praise the Lord that it, would, it might be that hardship that God uses to bring them to salvation. But you've heard, as well as me, some who would say in their time of trouble, where was God? And God just doesn't have any time for me, nor care, obviously. Jesus bore every pain that you and I ever will, and then some. He knows our struggle, and He knows our suffering. Think about that for possibly the one here who might be in a very unique circumstance, you would think, and it's quite a struggle. And and maybe you think no one in here in this room right now could relate to you. And maybe that's true. But Jesus always can. He knows. He knows our struggle. He was born miraculously from heaven in Mary's womb by way of the Holy Spirit. But He was also born into a humbling life. 
A life of being humble. He was a helpless baby. He was dependent as a child. And then he grew up into the responsible young man he became in, in lowliness of mind. Everyone needs that. He is an example for every person, rich or poor, young or old. Humility and lowliness of mind is needed in every life. And that's what Jesus says of Himself in the few times He would speak of His own character in the end of Matthew chapter 11. Here He was in lowliness of mind, which is what every life needs. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world couldn't have a lamb offered for Himself from Joseph and Mary's economic status. Growing up poor, Jesus experienced every situation, every condition, every trial, every temptation. Temptation by way of troubles in His life. Temptation by way of temptation to sin. The experience of temptation is not sin. It can become that if we don't do the right thing with it. Jesus had every experience except for the experience of sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not and high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, here it is, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is a perfect sympathizing Savior. Not just, not just a Savior of sympathy, but a Savior of empathy. He doesn't just feel sorry for us. He feels it with us. And He knows the experience of what we feel and what we go through. He was born in an animal trough. We've just established that He was born to poor parents. By the way, that could be a blessing. Not, not, not a struggle. But he had his life threatened as a baby. He was obviously without his father at a young age and stepped up to take care of his mother and to take care of his siblings. The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. He was opposed by religionists. He was charged with being insane and demon-possessed. And we get our feelings hurt when we're called a holy roller. When we get excited about the Lord. And we talk about the Lord a lot to others. And it's strange to others. He knows what that's like and then some. He was hated by most of his listeners. There's, there's just a little side note here about this. Just the thought of the receptiveness of people to us when we tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not always going to be received. 
You'll have a group look at you and talk about you funny. But you're throwing out the only lifeline that can be had when you tell someone about Jesus Christ. He was hated by most of his listeners. How about being betrayed by a friend who wasn't a friend after all? How about being forsaken by all of his friends? He had to go undergo unfair trial. He was crucified. Let's go ahead and consider that this morning, that He was born to die for us. He was manifested in this world so that He could give you and I the best gift we could ever have. The gift that gives for eternity. Eternal life. He was born to die for us. One, one preacher friend that's in glory now said, and I'm sure many others said it, we're the reason for the season. Because Jesus came. Because we couldn't go to Him. So He came to us and He gave His life to die for us. One of His names, one of the names of Christ is Man of Sorrows. All of that because they had no lamb to bring for the offering. Let's move on then. The end of verse 22, it says, They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. The life of the child, the life of the son, was presented to the Lord. Let me read you some verses about this. Don't don't let me lose you while I read these verses. I'll go through them quick. Exodus 13.2 Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. A couple of more. Exodus 13, 12. It says that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast. The males shall be the Lord's. Verse 15. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. Okay, a few more. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 6, and we're going to wrap that up with something. It says, And if it be from a month old, even unto five years old, then thy estimation shall be of the male five shekels of silver, and for the female thy estimation shall be three shekels of silver. Okay, Numbers 18 and chapter 15. Last set of verses. Everything that openeth the matrix and all flesh which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or of beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstling of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem. And those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem according to thine estimation for the money of five shekels and after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is uh, twenty giras, but the firstling of a cow 
cattle or the firstling of a sheep or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar and shalt burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. Last verse. And the flesh of them which be thine as the wave breast and as the right shoulder are thine. What is that all about? It speaks of the presentation of the male child by the family before the Lord. A firstborn, a firstborn son is precious to the Lord. He considers the firstborn son holy. And in this, might we think about Jesus Christ and His birth. He is the only begotten Son of God who was presented be before God. He was presented to the Lord with a poor sacrifice. The sacrifice of turtle doves or pigeons. He, the poor sacrifice was presented for Him. Yet, He gave the greatest sacrifice for all the world in His perfect life which satisfied God for every single one of us. He substituted in our place to take our sin upon Himself. That's why Jesus was born. As we think about the birth of Christ in such a special way out of all of the year, right now, let us consider why He was born. He was born to give us the greatest gift we could possibly have. He gave His life that we might have eternal life. May, may this Christmas season be filled with the miraculous life of Jesus. But not only that, why He came... He came to make an offering of His life. He was manifested by birth, made an offering for our sin and death. And God raised Him. God was, is satisfied with the gift that Jesus Christ offers anyone who does not know Him as Lord and Savior. There's victory and there is eternal life in Jesus Christ. How can we not celebrate this greatest gift? How, can, how could Christmas just become so cloudy in our mind with, with all that the world does when we have the greatest possible gift for eternity we could have in Jesus Christ and, and, and you and I considering why He came to give us salvation. What a, what a name. His name shall be called Jesus for He shall save His people from their sins. We, we started with a name today and, and we, we end with a thought that I have of, of a name in, in Pilgrim's Progress. Somebody tell me the name of the pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. It's all through it. Christian, right? 
How about his name before that? Because it's clearly stated in an allegory. When the pilgrim is conversing with a porter, the porter asks him, what is your name? And the pilgrim says, my name is now Christian, but my name at the first was graceless. There was a time that every Christian's name was graceless. Not that, not that God's grace is not in this world to affect every, every unsaved and saved person, but the personal experience of God's grace in the greatest way being the gift of eternal life by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we went from graceless to Christian. If you're here this morning and you've never become a Christian, you need to see your name is graceless this morning. But the great news is, you can have all the grace that you could ever need for free. by trusting in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith in what He did in your place. You, you, might, even, you might even be able to describe your experience in life right now really as, as graceless. You're exhausted here this morning very possibly. There, there just may be one who does not have what they see that others have in this sanctuary this morning. Would you settle it with God today? There is, there is nothing to stop anyone right now from believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior but, but themselves. It would just be yourself. But Jesus Christ wants to save you today. Would you trust Him as your Lord and Savior? What a gift. What a gift Jesus Christ is. You know, I had a lot of Christmases and a lot of you had a lot of Christmases but not really. But not really until we came to Christ as Lord and Savior. This morning, this morning could be the beginning of the very first Christmas that someone could have in their lives. A true Christmas by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. Is that you this morning? We're going to have a time of prayer and then a time of invitation. And if there's anyone here trusting in any religion, an outward act that, that you went through, an outward religious type of act, maybe you might even call it a religious experience, but it wasn't the experience of the one true religion, and that is being born again in Jesus Christ. Would you be saved by Him this morning? Let us pray.
Almighty Father in heaven, as we bow our hearts before you today, we're so grateful to you. We're so thankful for the precious gift that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you are still mighty to save. You are still saving and and we rejoice in your salvation. And if there be one here who realizes this morning that they are lost, that they are a sinner, and they need Jesus desperately to save them from their sins so they don't go to hell, but that they could have that home in heaven that comes by way of the gift of salvation by believing in Jesus Christ. We pray this for their life this morning. And, and dear God, may you use your people in an extra special way during these next several weeks to share and to tell and to show of the greatest gift that anyone could ever have by knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. If everyone could please stand. This is your time with God. Hold me and me. May...